What's up, guys? This is Danny Langloss, and you're listening to the Leadership Excellence Podcast. Please hit that subscribe button so you never miss another episode. Consider giving us a rating or review so we can keep growing and help more people. Thank you. There are so many things that impact our ability to achieve success, but none are more important than leadership. Individuals and organizations rise and fall with leadership. We are here to help you rise. Thank you for joining us. This is the Leadership Excellence Podcast. Hello, leaders, and welcome to Leadership Excellence. My name is Danny Langloss, and today I'm joined by Mike Lee, the founder of MindShift Labs, and we're going to talk about what drives elite performance. Mike's background is mind-blowing. He spent time actually on the court with elite NBA stars like Steph Curry, the league MVP, all-star Joel Embiid. He's blended his experience of helping players use their mindset and focus to shift their performance in an ultra-competitive environment to the business world to level up business performance and personal leadership. Mike has shared these principles with companies like Morgan Stanley, IBM, and Cisco with rave, rave reviews. He's also the author of the internationally sold book, Untrained. Mike, welcome to the Leadership Excellence Podcast. Thanks for having me on, man. Looking forward to diving in with you today. Oh, man, I've been pumped about this conversation. You, first, you got to start, though, by like, how, how did you meet Steph Curry? This, if you're a basketball fan, even if you're not, this guy is amazing. He's electrifying. I mean, when you think about what kind of a mindset and work ethic this guy has to have, how, how did you hook up, become friends, and start working with Steph? Well, I wouldn't go as far to say that we're friends, but I was, I was flown out to Charlotte to be the assistant director for the first skills academy that he ran for some of the top high school and college players in the country, and I got to know him there at that event, and that's, that's where the relationship stemmed from. Cool. What kind of impact has your relationship with him had on you, your thoughts, your, your, your philosophies, as you've, if you've dove in, you know, what drives elite performance? Great question. I'll, I'll go into a story right away about Steph. And you know, as I said, I got to know him when I went out to this academy that he was running for these uh, high school and college players. And then I got to know him more when I would go to the pregame workouts. Because in the NBA, they don't do a lot of practice during the season. A lot of their work is done uh, before the games, getting out on the court, working on their individual skills, getting shots up. And when I was in the basketball world, that that was my job. I was an individual skill development coach. So I was just working on players, their handle, their shot, their footwork, all the individual skills that go into building a player. And the NBA coach, they're some of the best in the world at that. So I would would always go pregame when Golden State was in town, whether it was in Milwaukee or LA when when I was out there to go watch these workouts. So one time I was, it was January, I think about 2014 and, and Golden State was coming to Milwaukee and I text Steph and asked him for two tickets to a game. There's one for me and one for this kid named Jordan that I was working with at the time. He was an eighth grader that was training with our company. And I met Jordan outside of the Bradley Center on this freezing cold January day in Milwaukee. And we walked in through the security entrance through the player's tunnel and had a seat on one of the courtside seats that would become a the team bench for the game. And Steph came over and he said hi and 
spent about the next 15 to 20 minutes talking to this kid, talking to Jordan. And as I overheard the conversation, I heard him ask Jordan about school. I asked, I heard him ask Jordan about his family and his friends, rarely having anything to do with basketball. And what I learned from this conversation was that what Steph was trying to imply to Jordan to teach Jordan was that life was bigger than basketball. And one of the reasons that I believe Steph has been able to perform at such an elite level is that he doesn't place his identity and tie his self-worth up into his perform, places identity on the line and tie his self-worth up into his performance every time he steps out on the court because he doesn't allow his, you know, whether he, he scores 30 points and has 10 assists in a game to uh, be the place where he derives value from. He finds it in everything in his life, from his work as a, an activist in the Bay Area to how he is as a husband, how he is as a father, how he is a, as a citizen. And I believe that this is one of the reasons. Obviously, the guy's put in a ton of work and has this unbelievable skill level. But when you watch Steph play, he plays with more freedom, more gratitude, more joy, more creativity than any athlete I've ever seen in my entire life. And I believe that this is, this is the reason why, that he, he doesn't allow the, the external to define his self-worth. And because of that, he drops so much of that external pressure. You know, lots of times the, the reason that we don't perform, you know, you talk about performance anxiety. That's because we're so locked in on the outcome. We're, we're driving so much of our, our value from how we perform. And when Steph walks off the court, if he goes one for 10 from the three-point line or he goes nine for 10 from the three-point line, he feels the same way about himself. And this allows him to play with all that gratitude, joy, and freedom that we see him play with. And so really the big takeaway is what he taught me was that when we can drop that need, when we can drop our need to obtain our self-worth and, and our identity from the external, whether that's our business revenue, whether that's our, the metrics that we place on our performance, we can drop into the present moment, which is the only place that we can actually do our greatest work and we can and be the best version of ourselves as leaders and how we show up in the world. Wow, that's powerful. And yeah, you guys aren't buddies. I'm going to actually text Steph uh, here. When, the, when everything starts back up, see if I can get some courtside tickets and some early <laughs> access. Love it. Love that story. Love that insight, Mike. Wow, so much there to, to unpack. And we've been talking a lot about we've got to lead the whole person, right? We got to understand people holistically and not tying identity to performance, but tying your identity to your job. You know, and I struggled with that as a police officer, as a detective as the police chief early in my career. And then something finally clicked to where it's like, I'm if tomorrow I get injured or get another job or whatever, like I don't lose my identity like that. You know what I mean? I'm not as my identity, a police officer or a city manager or, you know, and so we tie into that and you talk about this when, when we're not letting those external things determine who we are and how we feel about ourselves then you look at that, the freedom, the creativity, the joy, the gratitude, and being able to sink, you know, and be present into the moment. 
And I, I really appreciate you sharing that story because I think there's so much takeaway just from that. I mean, if people stop right now, which you're not going to, because that I'm like, they're like, wow, I got that already into this episode. Big, big, big deal. So what drives your passion for leadership? So, you know, you talk about this, and you've been working with people and you've really made a transition from working with elite NBA players to, to business professionals. So what really drives your passion for leadership? I mean, there's so many things, so many experiences, so many people that have shaped my life and where I'm at today. I mean, at the end of the day, it's just about influencing people. It's about positively influencing people, getting them to see a a vision that is greater than their current circumstances, getting them to see a a version of themselves that is better than who they currently are and help them close that gap. And I think, you know, it's just the fulfillment that you, you get from seeing somebody grow, somebody seeing somebody be more, seeing a a business improve, see a player out on the court, uh, just playing at his potential. I mean, I, I remember, you know, we had us in the basketball world one year we had, I think we went three, three years in a row where we had a kid that we were working with hit a game winning shot in the NCAA tournament. And so like you, as you can imagine, like just, it's not about me. It's just, just like the fulfillment that you get from knowing that you had a small impact on that kid's life and, and his basketball skills and his ability to, to just be in a position to, in order to make a play like that. And so uh, it's just the fulfillment that comes with it. I mean, I think, you know, we find fulfillment based on what we give and uh, not based on what we achieve. And I think that's, that's a huge, huge piece of leadership. Wow. Just writing that down real quick. Man, we, we find fulfillment. Send me that note because I've never said that before. So, so I'll, I'll have to use that as a quote card on Instagram. It, it's going to be a quote. If people aren't following on LinkedIn, if they're not following Mike Lee, if they're not following my feed, Danny Langloss on LinkedIn, I mean, we're really breaking down the different elements within the podcast and you will see a quote when this thing drops. Um, Wow, the, talking about that. It's not about what we, man, that's what we achieve, right? That's, it's about what we give, not what we achieve. And that's just- It's about, not about what we achieve, it's about what they achieve. Like organizations don't need a great leader. They need a thousand great leaders. Like great leaders create leaders. And that's, you know, that you look at the best performing organization. It's like when you have a leader who creates other leaders- then everybody has agency within the organization to, to take ownership, to be able to, you know, we, we've had a discussion before about, you know, creating an environment where people have autonomy, where people can have a, an opportunity to master something where people have, um, you know, we're talking about Daniel Pink's book. It's what autonomy, mastery, and, and purpose, mm-hmm. right. Yep. And, and great leaders, give people an opportunity to be able to do those things so they can really, it's about it. All those are about agency and becoming your own leader, becoming, you know, developing that personal leader within you. And, you know, if you just think, I mean, it's like so simple. You think about what if everybody in a company 
operated as if they were their own leader. If they took personal responsibility and leadership for everything that they were doing uh, within their job, I mean, it would astronomically change the culture of a company. Astronomically. It, it is the basis of the book I'm currently writing called Creating a Culture of Leadership. And so I, I posted a series of articles on LinkedIn. They'll need to be expanded. But it's that idea that everybody leads and that we develop people with the leadership competencies, that we shift that mindset very early on from me to we, and we give them the tools and resources, right? I believe, and I've been saying this a little bit as well, leadership is our superpower. Our ability to connect with and influence people towards a common good, that's our superpower. We got that within us. And I believe it's our superpower because there's one thing they're going to solve the incredible issues facing our country, you know, social injustice, you know, being, being one of them, gender inequality, food insecurity, access to equal education, right? All, all these big major things, child abuse, and that's going to be leadership. That's going to be people's ability to have vision, to connect with people, to unite people towards a common good and cause because no one person can do these things alone. And, and you said it's not the power of one great leader. It's the power of an organization of great leaders. And the other thing that tapped into, which you said a little differently, but great leaders are great multipliers. Great leaders are, are great at, other, at creating other great leaders. Such powerful pieces from, from Mike Lee as we, as we take off in this conversation. I appreciate that. Thank you. Of course. So let, let's dive in. So we're talking about elite performance. And so I want to talk about what are the principles or the characteristics, the factors that drive elite performance, and then we'll shift that in the conversation to how, okay, okay, I've learned how to drive elite performance as a leader for myself, but then how do I do that for my team? Mm-hmm. Does that sound like a good, a good flow? Let's do it. All right, get after it then. What are the, what are the factors that, that drive elite performance, Mike? Well, I think the first thing is we kind of already talked about it is vision. Get the clarity on it. You got to, you know, you got to know what you want. So many people don't get what they want in life because they don't even know what they want in life. And once you get the clarity on that, that can drive everything else. You know, so there's a few things that are all tied together that are really the foundation and that's purpose. That's your mission and your vision. And I think those are really the foundational elements that you got to get the clarity on that drive everything else uh, when we're talking about elite performance or creating a, a high performance individual or high performance culture or, or company. It all starts with those three things. And that's, you know, you're, you're on an individual level. And then I know you're a big believer in this, but like an individual level, but then how do we tie that to the organization? And that's when we create can create uh, real lasting change. Man, huge. Purpose is such a powerful thing. Purpose tying into people's passion, right? The, the vision, like, like we got we to gotta understand where we're going and where we want to get there. To get there, we don't leave those things a chance. But it is so powerful, you know, and I break this down, like we have a mission statement. We have a vision statement. We we, we have to intentionally connect the purpose of the organization 
what the purpose of our team members, one person at a time. And it doesn't have to read in their heart word for word that you wrote in your mission statement. But when we begin and start with aligning purpose, what is it about this organization, about this team that aligns that purpose? And then helping them, one, identify it. Maybe they don't know. Maybe they do. But helping them understand how they're achieving that and giving them the skills and the tools, the, the mastery and the autonomy, right, to go after it and to achieve it. Such a big, big thing. So purpose, vision is the first thing that drives elite performance. What's, what's the second one? I think it's really, you know, like I said, you really got to spend time getting crystal clear on, on those things. And I think, you know, it, just to kind of finish up that point, I think it all comes down to energy, right? When we get hit with adversity and we're in this place of uncertainty, how do we ground ourselves and, and get our, our attention back to what we're trying to create? Well, if we have a vision to come back to, that allows us to refocus on the process, refocus on you know the strategy, the process, whatever you want to, however you want to frame it up. But it's really about, about the... Uh, about the energy, right? When we can see something, we connect to it at an emotional level. And when we connect to it, tapping into that emotion is one of the greatest resources that we have as individuals, as leaders, as organizations is the emotion behind our why. It's not, you know, it's not having a a mission statement that you can't feel is not going to create impact. Your, your vision has to be something that you're emotionally tied to. And that, that's the power of it, really. It, it, and if it's not, if you don't have a vision that you close your eyes and you see that manifesting out in the world and you're not excited by that, you don't feel that within your body, you got to change your mission statement or your vision or go back to working on your purpose or you're probably not in the right place working. Right. So it's really about about really tapping into the energy behind it, because uh, if we you know, we can have all the time in the world, but if we don't have the energy within that time, the time is is pointless. Right. Everybody talks about how time is our biggest resource or our most valuable resource. But I think energy is our most valuable resource. You know, this time has has proven like we've all had more time to work on our passion projects or write that book or work on that documentary or whatever it is we said we want to do. But if we can't bring energy to that time, then the time doesn't matter. So really tapping into the energy behind it. So going to, do you have anything to add on that? Or, or Yeah. Yeah. This is what I have to add. Wow. Wow. All of those takeaways, people should be taking notes, writing this down. It's about the way we think about things. Right. And the thing I love about this podcast and the incredible guests, the, the experts like yourself that we've had on, is that it's really reframing the way we look at things, the way we interpret things, the way we see things. It's, it's, taking, it's not adding necessarily 80 new things to the organization or the leadership. It's taking the things that are there and figuring out how to put them in the right places and the pieces and the reframe and the restructure and, and then adding new things to it. And you just did all that. So yeah, I just want to say, wow. Yeah, so take us to the next one. 
Awesome. Yeah, I think the next thing is depending on your individual and organization, right? Obviously, you got to look in the right place. But the next, the next uh, step is to find the process, right? Find that what's how am I going to get there? How what's the strategy that I'm going to use? You know, what's our our marketing plan? What's our community community engagement plan? What is our external client engagement plan? What's our internal stakeholder? Plan. Like, what are the things that we're going to put in place to help bring that to life? And I know that might sound really matter of fact and oversimplistic, but like, you got to you got to get the clarity on those things. Um, you know, because at the, the end of the day, it's like the process is what drives results. The process drives outcomes. Just by focusing on the outcome and getting our mission statement up there or being able to have a vision is not going to drive the results. It's by finding the vision, right? Holding that vision in your mind and being able to come back to it when you're not feeling like putting in the work, when you're not, uh, when you're dealing with adversity, but then being able to focus on the process. Um, I'll give you a, an example or an analogy. I just started doing a type of, someone call it therapy, but it's a, a type of, uh, you know what the right word? It's called neurofeedback. It's a modality uh, to essentially optimize brain function for more clarity, more focus, more energy. And are you familiar with this at all? I am not. I'm okay. totally interested, though. Okay, so it's it's called neurofeedback. It's a it's basically biofeedback for your brain. If anybody out there is familiar, anyways, they without going into all the details, they essentially hook you up to sensors that will send gentle electrical signals into your brain to change your brain state. We all operate uh, with different brain states given on uh, based on the time of the day, whether it's alpha, beta, theta, delta, or gamma. And there are, they're just states that we are in and they're tied to specific emotions or uh, cognitive skills like focus, self-awareness, uh, a sense of feeling grounded, whatever it is. Anyways, I started doing this to just optimize brain function. And one thing that, I, that I've been noticing is there's, there's a score at, uh, for each session. You're, so they hook you up to these and then you're watching a, essentially, you're, you're essentially watching almost like a video game or a, uh, a different program on a TV. And everything is scored. And so you can see your score at the bottom corner of the screen, just like you'd be watching a, you know, watching an NBA game, right? The score is at the, at the bottom of the screen. And what I've noticed is that when I can focus on my breath, I can find a sense of being grounded and just let go. The score goes up way faster when I'm focused on that score. And I'm thinking about, Oh, I got to beat the score that I had last time the score goes up significantly slower. And so going back to talking about before, like it's the process, right? It's what is going to drive the score? Well, what's going to drive the score is me being in a, a state of being relaxed, feeling grounded, feeling the state of clarity and open awareness and just being present in the moment and kind of letting my brain take over, right? But when I'm locked in on, I'm stressing to drive that score higher, that's when we're, you know, going back to really, this relates to the first story that I shared with Steph, right? About, uh, about the external pressures and the, and the, when we're focused on the outcome so much, um, we're not 
placing our attention energy on the thing that actually drives the outcome. So uh, is that, are you following here? Does that make sense? hundred percent. hundred percent. Cause that's something that, that you talk about quite a bit. So purpose, being able to focus in the present moment, you talk about Steph being amazing at that and then focusing on the process, because as I understand it, those are the three primary factors of driving elite performance. And, and what, what you're saying is based on the, the, optimizing the brain function, the neuroscience of this, there's things that just scientifically show ways to be able to, to hack that, right? But you got to be intentional and be in the present moment. Am I following that right? Or you just tell me, Dan, you just, yeah, yeah, yeah. right, yeah. we're going left. No, 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 no. For the most part. Yeah. 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 yeah the, I mean, the next thing I would add around high performance is finding somebody to model. You know, nobody's reinventing the wheel here, Right. If we're trying to build a business, if we're facing a, you know, I'll, I'll make it super practical for everybody right now, right? You know, we're facing a global pandemic. We're facing a remote first work environment. We're dealing with uh, social injustice. We are dealing with, um, you know, unbelievable economic uncertainty, right? But the reality is, is like, we have faced every single one of these, We've gone through this in some way, shape, or form. And there are people who have led us through this time in the past, right? We had the you know civil rights movement of the 60s, right? The 50s and 60s, right? We we had a global pandemic before. We've had, you know, we haven't had as an at an extreme level a remote first work environment, but there's companies that have been doing it. People have, have already been doing this. Uh, we've dealt with economic uncertainty before, right? And so, yes, we've never faced all of these at once. No question. And, and does that throw gasoline on the fire? No question about it and make it more difficult. But when you break it down, we've been through these things before. There have been leaders who have led us through crisis before, and we can study what they did and then model those techniques and behaviors and learn the, the things that they put into place in order to move us through this, right? And obviously you're going to have to be creative and there's going to be an art to it because you're dealing with every one of these things at the same time, but it's not impossible. It's not, and by studying the past by, and then modeling the behaviors of these leaders that have helped us move through this, we're going to be able to do the same thing. Yeah, I love that. So I found this podcast. So I listened to Brene, Brene Brown's Unlocking Us podcast uh, some. And in, in one of her episodes, she showcased or did an ad or something for a podcast called Hope Through History. John Meacham does it. And, and, and he, he is doing in that podcast, I think there were five or six episodes in the first season, exactly what you're talking about. I mean, like he went through the global pandemic, the Great Depression, the Cuban Missile Crisis, um, there was something else with Winston Churchill that he went through. And so there's this whole concept. And, and the other thing I think too, when you say find someone to model brings to life to me, the importance of having mentors. 100%. And so, you know, like I was telling somebody a few weeks ago, I've got like five mentors and they're like, what, why do you, why do you need, why do you need a mentor? I'm like, are you serious? Like we all need mentors. We've all got room to grow. We, we've all when you look back at yourself five years ago, even though you're rocking it today, you know, the, the information you're sharing, like everything, you're on the cutting edge. 
But the only way to be on the cutting edge is to stay on the cutting edge, right? If we're not moving forward, we're moving backwards. And the other thing I do with my mentors is I make sure they're diverse, right? They're, and I'm not just talking about color or sex, which they are that as well, but I'm talking about in profession, in thought. You know, um, I've got a, a pastor. I've got somebody in the city manager's group that's highly respected, uh, CEO of a local hospital. You know what I mean? Like I have, and I intentionally make sure it isn't a bunch of people that just think like me and we get that group think. And so now more than ever, in times of struggle, challenge, adversity, we need to one, surround ourselves, empower our team, issues these calls to action, tie to purpose, right? Tie to, tie to that, you know, fall into, I don't fall back on anything, fall into the process, but then rely on those mentors and look at the models that, okay, this is going well here. This is going well there. So all, all of these things just resonate so much. And they're things that, you know, us and our team are going through day in and day out because our communities look into us in these times. And fortunately, we're able to step up and, and answer the call. But to do that, we got to keep our team focused and our, our team aligned to mission and purpose. And our team, you know, committed to not being overwhelmed by what could come or what this is, but being in the present moment, uh, our team to focus on the process and then to look at those different models and then to, hey, be the model, right? 100%. So, wow. Love that. Anything else on... Anything else on, you know, the, the, the key factors, the main factors that drive elite performance? I, th- I mean, I think we hit on a lot of them. I think, you know, there's so many other ones that I could get into. I'm actually writing a second book on this right now. Um, I think another, and this goes back to the energy piece, but another, another aspect of it is really is learning to manage your emotional state. You know, we experience life in two different states. We're either in a beautiful state of love, of joy, of creativity, of service, or we're in a suffering state of anxiety, depression, regret, guilt, shame, frustration, anger. There is no in between. And every state that we're in will influence outcomes in the future. Right? There, there are no neutral states, just like we have, there are no neutral thoughts. Right? We're either having we're either focusing on empowering thoughts or we're having disempowering thoughts. And one is moving us towards what we want to create and one is holding us back in the past. Yeah, 100%. So I think learning to, to manage our emotional states, whether that's through you know, a myriad of different things, through exercise, through meditation, through spiritual practice, through uh, even, you know, one thing for me that I never would have put into this bucket a while ago was just... Uh, community and being able to have inspiring conversations with people. Uh, there's just, you know, whatever you can do to manage that emotional state. I mean, you think about, you know, make it super practical. You think about we're, we're having a, we're having a challenge in our business and we got to have a, a creative problem solving session. And we got, let's just, we'll make it simple. We got two people that are coming into a meeting at eight o'clock on a Tuesday morning and one person gets up in the morning and they hit the snooze on their alarm a few times because they drank a six pack of beer the day before. They uh, don't get a breakfast in in the morning. They don't get a workout. They are rushing out the door. 
And the worst thing is they forget to get their morning cup of coffee. Oh boy. They show up at that, they show up at that meeting at nine o'clock. And then we got another person who gets up in the morning. They get a workout in, they get a great breakfast in, they laugh at something that their kid did before they walk out the door, their spouse and them kiss goodbye like they did after their first date. And they're listening to some great energetic music to get them going uh, for the day on the way to the office. And both of those people show up in that meeting, both graduated from, you know, both have their, their uh, degree from Harvard, and you know they went to business school at Stanford, and they show up in that meeting, and one person is in a suffering state, and one person is in a beautiful state. Who's going to bring more creative solutions to that issue that their business is facing? Right? It's not necessarily so many times about the skills that we have. It's about the emotional states that we we strategically show up in uh, every day. Wow! Wow! So. All this is going through my head, and I'm just listening to you and taking this in, and I'm hearing Anthony Munategi, and I'm listening to Karen Shrory, um, two former podcast guests. And so Anthony talked about he wakes up in the morning, and like his mind and his brain's in Jurassic Park, right? Like Tyrannosaurus Rexes are going around, it's that another thing. First thing he does in the morning is hits the ground, expresses gratitude, um, starts off by being grateful, gets up, starts to shave you know, those types of things, get ready to go to the gym, find something positive intentionally, a podcast, YouTube video, motiversity, whatever it is, right? So he sets himself off positive, goes, gets his workout in, gets gets a good breakfast, joins what he calls his uh, mindset board of leaders, a group that gets together every morning at 6.30. When he walks through that door, he is ready to go. And then Karen Shroy, a great friend of mine, she's actually been a guest a couple of times. She's just amazing talked about this exact thing. So you're talking about learn how to manage your emotional state. And the podcast was um, the seven levels of energy. And our energy is either catabolic or anabolic, right? And so like just exactly what it is you're saying. And she worked through those things. And it was kind of fun because she, she, she tied each level of energy to a character from Peanuts. Um, you know, and Charlie Brown is level one victimhood. Right. Um, but, uh, but it was really interesting. So if, if people like, if what you're hearing out of Mike is resonating and you want a deeper dive into some of those things, because, you know, we got about, you know, 15 minutes left in this episode, go check out those two episodes because they go even deeper, uh, into that. And they, the, those podcasts are focused to be in those areas. So yeah, it, what you're saying is just getting me excited because this energy management thing and emotional management is a real thing that we've got to put a focus on for ourselves and learn it. And then we got to figure out how to help our teams because it's just not something in my 24 years with the city and, and being exposed to incredible speakers and training, you know, during that time, I mean, the city has invested a lot in me. Um, it's not something I've heard really talked about and, and now I'm hearing it talked about a lot more and the fact that you've added it and, you know, elite performance is a big, is a big deal and speaks more to how relevant this is. So. That is awesome. You, so I was listening to some of your stuff because I'm a big fan, right? I've been, I met Mike on LinkedIn. That, that is your main platform, right? You're on Instagram as well. LinkedIn and Instagram. Yeah. Mainly. Yeah. So you got to check his stuff out. So professional. Um, I'm like, I'm going to, I'm going to step up my game like this guy 
one day. And um, but you talked about mindset. You talked about three key components that I thought were important and resonated with me. So I just wanted you to walk through them a little bit. And they were adaptability, resiliency, and really leading in the present. Yeah. I mean, I think they're, especially now that the adaptability piece is huge. And I think being adaptable really comes from a couple practices. And that's number one, uh, actually, now that you got, you asked me the question, my mind's kind of going here. Uh, number one, actually, is really accepting or adopting the, I shouldn't even say adopting the belief because it's not a belief because it's, it's the truth, regardless of whether or not you want to believe it or not. <laughs> but uh, just creating awareness of uh, a concept called impermanence is actually a Buddhist concept. But it, it actually means that everything in life is in constant flux. Everything is always going to change. You know, change is, change is going to happen regardless. Now, progress, on the other hand, is different. But life is going to change if you're just sitting there and, you know, uh, you take a week off of work and you don't do anything and you're out laying on the beach in Hawaii for a week. Things are still changing around you, Right everything is always going to change in some way, shape or form. And so just accepting that, I think one of the challenges with being adaptable is we are in so much resistance to change that we don't allow ourselves to be open to the new opportunities that come with change with that come with the inevitable and companies that are able to, you know, companies that have high rates of corporate survivability are the ones that are adaptable, adaptable, adaptable to the market, adaptable, adaptable to what their people need internally, uh, adaptable from the standpoint of always listening to what their clients need, really being in that place of, of being an unbelievable listener, so that you can, uh, so that you can have awareness around it, you can adapt and you can create changes, and then being able to. Uh, offer something new in order to get them to the next level. So I think that's, that's a huge part of it. Yeah. One of the big things about leadership cultures is that they, they're, they're cultures of change. They embrace change. They reward change. They see challenge as opportunity, change as opportunity. And the greater the challenge, the greater the opportunity, you know? And so it's, it's reframing and, 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 and relooking at how we assess these things. I mean, look at, in the midst of COVID, in the midst of social injustice, and in, in the midst of a nasty election, whatever side you're on, doesn't matter, right? Um, in the midst of all these things, people working from home, parents becoming teachers because schools are closed down, but you still see so much innovation, so much creativity, so many positive, positive things. And you see that, you know, and through time, we, we've, what, what has made us who we are today as human beings is our ability to change, our ability to adapt our ability to overcome such a powerful thing. I think we got to be intentional about how important that adaptability in our relationship with change is as we set our mindset. hundred percent. So what about resiliency? I mean, I think resilience is, <laughs> resilience is so huge right now. I guess, you know, I'll, I'll walk people through five steps that I teach in some of my programs that, I really, you know, we haven't even really talked about this, but I, I, I went down this path of mindfulness when I picked up a meditation practice to beat the, the 
quite literally heroin-like withdrawal symptoms of an antidepressant medication that I was on. And out of this mindfulness practice, I realized that there were these five steps, and then these are definitely not all, all mindfulness, directly mindfulness practices, but they're five steps that were kind of derived from this, uh, this path of mindfulness. And the first step is awareness, right? Let's, let's actually, let's take a step back and just define resilience. Okay. And resilience is our ability to bounce back quickly from a setback, a challenge, or adversity. And, you know, I, the way I like to define this is how do we bounce back? Not how do we bounce back? How do we bounce back to what we talked about earlier to a beautiful state, right? How do we bounce back to that beautiful state? And so these five steps, I, I realized that I was practicing them. And the more that I was practicing them, practicing them I was able to really get through them rather quickly in the process I put together is called 60 second resilience. This is not something that, you know, you go through a major trauma or something like that. These steps, I would, it would be incredibly unhealthy to try to move through something like that uh, in 60 seconds. But for the everyday things that we're dealing with, the constant distractions, the change, the adversity that all of us are dealing with on a daily basis, these five steps are really uh, really beneficial and they, you can move through them quickly. So number one is awareness, just creating awareness of what has knocked us out of the present moment. What is, what has knocked us out of that beautiful state? Lots of times, you know, we get stuck in an emotional state and we're not resilient because we, we're not even aware of the state that we are in. Right. And we, and we end up allowing our, our actions and our lives to really be driven by our emotions instead of driven by our intention. So that's the first step is creating awareness. Second step is what we, I think we talked about this earlier, but a practice of non-resistance and that's simply getting to acceptance as to what is in the moment. This doesn't mean laying down the weapon, laying down your weapons and not fighting and, and going to a place of being a victim it's simply creating acceptance as to what is in the moment. Only in, when we're only until we get to a place of acceptance will we get to a place of clarity. So that's the second step. Third step is surrender, and that's releasing our attachment for our need for something to be a certain way. You want to think about something super practical? Uh, you think about an outcome. Releasing your attachment for an outcome to look a certain way. Because the reality of it is, is like, we can influence outcomes, but we can't control outcomes. And so really, going back to what we talked about earlier, focusing on the process and then letting go of that outcome. And that's, that's where surrender comes in, right? Fourth step is forgiveness. And this, lots of times we're talking about this resilience piece is self-forgiveness. You know, I don't know, I don't know about you, Danny, but I'm harder on myself than I am on anybody else. And if I talk to other people in my life, the way that I talk to myself, I'd have zero friends. So 100%. And, and, you know, at, at the reality of it is, is like at a certain point, that relationship that you have with yourself reflects on the relationship that you have with the people that you lead. All right. And I think our, our, 
our organizations are a direct reflection of that leadership. 100%. So the fourth step in that is forgiveness. And, and some people, you know, might be thinking, well, oh, that's like, you know, super woo woo. And how is that practical for me as a, uh, as a performance tool? And right. The way I can frame that up is, you know, until we forgive, we're stuck in the past. We're stuck in the past in resentment and anger, frustration, shame that we talked about earlier. We're in a suffering state that is lots of times tied to the past. When we forgive, we're letting go of the past and putting ourselves back into the present moment, which is the only place where we can take action to influence our future. It's the only place where we can focus on that process, where we can lock in on that process. Uh, the other thing is, you know, with all how divided our country is right now, no doubt is that showing up within organizations. And there's so much separation between generations, between genders, between races within our, within our work environments. And a high-performance culture cannot exist with separation. Forgiveness is a way to heal that separation, bring us together so that we can create more of a high-performance culture within our organization. Wow. The fifth step is to stay future focused. And that's really about two things. That's about returning to that vision and then and focusing on our mission. Wow. I think when adversity hits, you know, when we get, you know, I talked about this earlier, but adversity hits, we have to have a vision to come back to. We are, you know, when I was in the basketball space, I talked to this all the time, like, you know, it's not fun to get up at six o'clock in the morning before school to hit the weight room, to make 300 threes before the bell rings. And you got to get to class at seven o'clock or at seven thirty in the morning or seven forty-five in the morning. It's not fun to do that. But what is fun is when there's seven seconds left in the game, you got the ball in your hands, you're playing for a conference championship and there's 2000 people in the stands and you make a play to hit a game winning shot to win your school, their first conference championship in the last decade. That's fun. And how do we tap into that energy? How do we tap into that emotion to want to get up in the morning to make those extra hundred threes when we don't want to leave, when we, only thing we want to do is leave the gym. You got to come back, come back to that vision. Stop, pause, go into your mind, see it in your mind's eyes, see that vision coming to life and tap into the energy around it. So those five steps I, th I think are, are crucial to creating resilience. And even if you're only practicing one of them, it's going to make an impact. It's going to move the needle. So just recap real quick. It's uh, awareness, non-resistance, surrender, forgiveness, and staying future focused. Perfect. Love it. What, what a bonus today for, for our guests. I'm glad we got into that part of the conversation because resiliency is such an important topic right now. And anybody, anybody can become resilient or can become more resilient. And it's such a big, big thing. Wow. So we're starting to, we're starting to wind down here, Mike. Um, talking about elite performance before, before we get into maybe a call to action from you, um, 
is there anything else you want to you want to dive into in this area that you're like, hey, we haven't gone here yet, Danny. Hold up a second. Yeah, I'll just share one thing that I've been told by I've been told by people. <laughs> I won't go into who or details, but I've been told that this does not belong in in the workplace or in the corporate space, and I. 100% disagree with them. And that's leading with love. I was told, don't ever speak about love because your, your career will be gone before it even starts. And I just, I look at the people that have influenced my life that have inspired me to do more, become more, achieve more. It's because they showed up and they led from their heart. They led with love. They, you know, cared for me as a human being. And I'll share a, a quick story with this about that. And we can, we can wrap that up. But back when I was in college, I had the best summer job in the world. I used to drive all around the country and work basketball camps. I would drive from Wisconsin to, you know, all literally all the way out to New York city to work a camp called five stars, the original basketball camp. And I just wanted to, learn as much as I possibly could about the game and soak up knowledge from these. You know, I was able to spend time at these camps with McDonald's All-American coaches and coaches from Syracuse and see guys like Rick Pitino speak. And, you know, I'm 22 years old, I think at the time, 21 years old. And I was just trying to soak up as much as I could. I wanted to be a division one college basketball coach. And there's one memory from a camp that I will never, ever, ever forget for the rest of my life. And I was, it was a super hot, humid day in a town called Prairie Duchene, Wisconsin. And I was, uh, we were in the high school gym at this camp and everybody just dripped in sweat. You know, you could ring, take everybody's t-shirt off and, and wring it out and basically create a pool with how much sweat everybody had on during that day. And my job at these camps was to be a demonstrator because at the time I was actually still playing college basketball. I was demonstrating this drill at this camp in front of about a hundred kids with this session that was directed by this coach named, his name was Dave MacArthur. And I was demonstrating this two ball dribbling drill and I was going from one end of the court to the other. And I had to make a move at each volleyball line. I had to cross one dribble, two basketballs at the same time, cross one basketball over in front and wrap the other basketball behind my back. And as I'm, I'm going down the court on the first trip, and I'm going kind of slow because I want to make sure that I demonstrate things correctly for, for all the kids, and I'm going kind of slow, and I make I execute a two good reps on the way down. And on the way back, I lose one of the basketballs. Some kid grabs one of the ball that probably went off my shoe, and he threw it back to me. And on the third trip down, I'm going slower again because I don't want to mess up. And of course, because I'm in my head now and I don't want to mess up, I lose the basketballs again. And all I remember was Dave looking at me, Coach MacArthur looking at me, blowing his whistle and saying, you suck, Mike. I cannot believe that you cannot do this drill. You suck, man. You got to put more time in. Wow. And I got really good at that drill. <laughs> but 
it wasn't because he called me out in front of a hundred kids at this summer basketball camp. It was because I had a relationship with him. When I was prior to this, when I was in high school, Dave used to work me out in the summers prior to uh, the high school association allowing coaches to do this. This was 100% against the association rules because he wasn't a, he wasn't my high school coach. Uh, he would, you know, open up the gym in the, in the mornings and the afternoons, whenever I was wanted to work out, he would, he would work me out. He coached an AAU team that I put together, a club basketball team that I put together. He used to drive me around. He used to pick me up at my parents' house uh, and drive me around to watch high school and college games, just teach me about the game after we would go work out. He'd take me out to eat and we'd go out to eat and talk about life and basketball and girls and whatever it was at that time that, that, uh, you know, that we were talking about. He took the time to develop a relationship with me first. He took a, took the time to connect with me first. And because of that, he was able to influence me in whatever way he thought was going to be able to help me become the best player that I was capable of becoming. And the takeaway of this is not that you should tell, yell at people and tell them that they suck when they screw up. It's that he taught me what it's like to show up with love. He taught me what the power of leading with your heart can do for somebody else's life. And I will never, ever, ever forget that story and him and the impact that he made on me because he showed up every day and, and led with his heart and he led with love. And I would encourage, you know, especially at this time, in the beginning of the pandemic, one of the things that, that everybody was talking about was make sure you check in on your people, reach out to your people. You know what? Everybody's still going through something right now. This isn't going away when the clock strikes midnight on January 1st and we're in 2021. People need you to show up now more than ever. Check in on them. Ask them how they're doing. It's just the little things. Write them a note. Write them a letter. Write them a letter of appreciation. Tell them the things that they're doing great right now. And decide to show up with love, with action. And I think you'll see some tremendous changes in the relationships that you have with the people that you lead. So powerful. What an incredible way to bring our episode, to bring this show to an end. I'm with you 110%, Mike. Lead with love. And, you know, we could recap that, but you did it so perfect that, that, that there's no need to. And, and I would challenge leaders with you to lead with love. At the city, it was about being part of a great team. And now the words our people are using are family. And I think it's the essence of that. So powerful. Mike, thank you so much. Mike Lee uh, from, from MindShift Labs, thank you so much for joining us today. So many incredible takeaways. I mean, there are going to be so many quotes that come from this episode. And not just quotes, not just one-liners, depth to go with them. Thank you. Thank you very much, Mike. I really appreciate it. It's great to be here. So just a, just a quick recap of, of today's episode. Wow. The factors that drive elite performance, vision, 
purpose tied into your emotion, being in the present moment, focusing on the process, finding someone to model, learning to manage our emotional state. You know, when we look at our mindset, mindset, the importance of adaptability, the importance of being able to embrace change, resiliency. Mike's 60-second resiliency formula, awareness, non-resistance, surrender, forgiveness, future-focused. His call to action is to lead with love, to lead with love. When you think of leadership, leadership is influence. It's founded in relationships, and relationships are founded in trust. Without trust, you don't have relationships. Without caring for people and caring about people, you don't have relationships. If you don't have relationships, you don't have influence. If you don't have influence, you don't have leadership. If you haven't already, please hit that subscribe button. Please consider giving us a rating or review. This helps us reach more people organically. Uh, This network continues to grow and grow. Within the podcast description, you can go ahead and click to get to our website, sign up for our mailing list. We promise we're super, super busy. Uh, So we're not going to overwhelm you with emails, but if you want to stay connected with with great insights, we'll go ahead and do that. Uh, To our listeners, thank you so much for taking the time to listen today to Mike Lee. Thank you so much. You are a rock star. What an incredible episode. And remember, always be committed to excellence.